Blog Talk Radio. Caldwell here with my co-host, John Harlow. As we bring you another great episode of Talking in Circles, we'll discuss the Mid-Ohio Challenge at Mid-Ohio Sports Park course with Justin Marks winning. NASCAR ran in the rain this weekend. A lot of uh, opinionated people on Facebook and Twitter about that. Uh, We'll give our opinions on that, the death of Brian Clawson. Uh, We'll talk about how really the racing community has come around uh, and really shows you how great race fans can really be. Also, we have one of the most exciting weekends of the year coming up this weekend at Bristol Motor Speedway. Triple header weekend, trucks tomorrow night, and then you got the Xfinity and Cup Series race on Friday and Saturday. And then, of course, here we are in August. It's starting to ramp up again. NASCAR silly season. Some news on Eric Jones, potentially, and some potential news on Paul Menard. We'll dive into all that, plus your phone calls at 917-889-8280 to join the conversation here tonight on Talking Circles. Well, let's get right to it. Let's start with the Mid-Ohio Challenge, as they called it this weekend, at Mid-Ohio Sports Car Course, John Harlow, Street Car Course, excuse me, uh, on Saturday afternoon. It was a race that was uh, affected by the weather. It started in the rain, it started in the rain, then it cleared up and it stopped raining, uh, and then the race got real good, and then it started to rain again, and we saw a lot of, a lot of spins, uh, a lot of a very interesting winner, Justin Marks, a guy I don't think a lot of people had uh, on on the list of winners. was a, wasn't a favorite coming in. Was able to win. Um, I have a lot of strong opinions on this, John. So I'll let you go first. Uh, what were your thoughts on racing in the rain here on Saturday night at Mid Ohio Sports Streetcar Course? There, I think to say it sucked would be an understatement because I think didn't we? I mean, wasn't it counted like sixty spins? I mean, we want to see drivers race. We don't want to see wrecks. We don't want to see – it's sort of like an umpire in a baseball game. You don't want the umpire to take control of the of the game. You want to see the players play. You wound up seeing the Mother Nature controlled the game on Saturday. It wasn't the best drivers out there in the best equipment doing the best that they can. They were just holding on trying to survive. Uh, Marks, in his streetcar racing, I mean, he's done some um, road course stuff where he has run in the rain, so that gave him an advantage over most everybody else, which is one of the rare things that someone with experience in racing in the rain, which helped helped, uh, Justin Marks in the end. But, I mean, it wasn't a great race. It was okay in the middle whenever they were running on the slicks, but when they ran rain tires, everybody's just trying to hold on. And that's what it really was, in my opinion, the problem with it. And there's a lot of problems with this. First off, I don't think um, these cars are built to run in the rain. I know Formula One and IndyCar run in the rain a lot, or Formula One does especially, but we're not Formula One in this in this sport. We're just not. You know, I like NASCAR better than Formula One and IndyCar. That's why I talk about NASCAR racing. 
Um, I think the product in NASCAR is better than what we see in IndyCar and Formula One. And I think fans right now are getting into this state where, um, and it's not bad to like all three. I don't have a problem with liking IndyCar. I don't have a problem with like Formula One and NASCAR altogether. I don't care. But I think fans are trying to get into a state where we're trying to combine all three, trying to make all three basically the same, where we don't do the same stuff in NASCAR they do in Formula One. These cars are run completely different. They have enough downforce in Formula One to help run in the rain. I think it would help them. What I saw Saturday, uh, I just I just didn't like it. There was cars spinning out. It was, it. I want to see them race. I want to see them go out there and get side by side and dive into a corner, overdrive a corner if they have to, or outrun somebody. That's not what we saw Saturday. I think it was more of a, hey, let's kind of see if we can not spin out, and whoever doesn't spin out the least wins. I didn't like that at all. And I know fans really – there was a lot of fans. I was in arguments a lot on, on, Twitter, on Facebook this weekend. A lot of fans were out there saying that they really enjoyed what they saw on Saturday. And I think part of it was – there was two reasons, I think. One was storylines. I think Justin Marks going out there and winning was, a, was huge because he's not a household name. He's not a Kyle Busch. He's not a guy that we see up front every week. And so him going out there and winning, I think, was huge for the fans. I think the fans liked that. They would say, you know what, it's nice to see somebody win. But to me, if rain has to be the great equalizer, we have bigger problems in this series than what we already think of. Um, and and I, I just didn't like the racing there. And number two, I think it was because it was different. We've never seen anything really like this before. And the fans went, you know, they, it was different. We weren't sure what, what to kind of make of it all. We were kind of going, huh. And that's what made it interesting. I think if the fans looked at it and said, you know, if we watch this two or three times in a row, fans would go, this is stupid. Why are we doing this? And, I, and that's where I, I just think the fans liked it because it was different. They liked it because it was we saw a, a different name up front. But at the end of the day, I don't know how you could say that was good race. I didn't think it was at all. Well, on top of that, if you're a fan, you want to pay all that money to go sit in the rain and get soaked? I mean, this isn't the NFL where you know the weather is part of the thing. You go, you want to sit in the sun, watch the race, enjoy, have a good time. You didn't get that opportunity on Saturday because you're out there getting pummeled with rain the same way the cars are, and you only see what's going on in front of you on a road course most of the time anyhow. So it just wouldn't, it wasn't conducive for the fans, the crowd, the the cars, the drivers, anything. I just think racing in the rain is not good at the cup and Xfinity level. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I just I just didn't enjoy it. Again, if, 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 you know, there's fans out there, and it's good to have different opinions. I know that. I'm not trying to say mine is right and mine is wrong, but I just thought it was a disaster. I really did. Everything I saw on Saturday, you know, to me it would have been a, a – here's the thing. I think we would have had a better product on Sunday. I think fans pay all the money to for the product. They want to see a great race. I don't think we saw that. I think the product would have been better if we stayed out there and ran when it was dry. I mean, congratulations, Justin Marks. You know, he won the race and he deserves to win the race. And I'm not saying taking, trying to take anything away from him or his team because they, every, it was the conditions were same for everybody else. They really were. But I, I think it was in the Loud and Sirius XM Radio this week that you know these cup cars, these NASCAR cars, aren't built to run in the rain. I, again, I think it would work. Here's where I think rain tires would work, and this is where I would like to see. If there was a situation like we saw in the middle of that race where, hey, you know, you got Middle Ohio, which is a, a big short track, Watkins Glen's a big short track, um, and then you got Road America, which is a four-mile track. If NASCAR says, hey, you know what, we're not really sure we can get the track dry, but we want to run out there and rain tires, I'd be okay with that. 
Um, and if it's the rain starts to pick up, if it's starting to drizzle a little bit, but what we saw on Saturday wasn't that. You know, if it was raining a little bit, and we saw a, a lot of standing water there. We saw just it was just too wet to race. That's the way I look at it. I wouldn't mind if, it was, like I said, the track was, was getting dry, and they sat there and they went, you know what, we're going to put you out there. Track's not 100% dry, but we got rain tires on. Go out there and run, get these laps complete, and when the track is, will continue to get drier and drier and drier. I think that would be great for the sport. But I, I think what we saw Saturday wasn't very good for the sport at all. Give us your take, guys, if you're listening. 917-889-8280 is the number to call in here on Talking Circles. But, again, John, I just don't think Saturday was a service to our sport at all. Plus, the opportunity was there without the Cup drivers being there that weekend. It was an off weekend for the Cup. Here's a chance for the Xfinity Series to shine and build an interest in the drivers that are there on a regular basis. And it just went to crap because the weather took over. You didn't see a good product. Why would anybody, after watching that, tune back in next week or tune back in when they go to Road America and there's a chance of rain there? Why would you want to watch that? It's not, I mean, it's not, I turned it off. I got bored with it. I got tired of watching spins. I had other mm-hmm. things I could have done. I mean, I, I was out actually out working in my yard on Saturday because the racing just wasn't that good. Give me a reason to stay tuned, and I will. That just wasn't good racing. Yeah, and they always say, and a lot of people always say, fans like wrecks. And I always try and try and say our fans aren't like that. I don't think the majority of them are. But I'll tell you what, John, what I saw with the comments, maybe that's the case because I think a lot of fans do like wrecks. And I understand it was, like I said, I understand it was different. And that's what made it interesting. But uh, to say the fact that we saw a better, we would have seen a better, we saw a better race on Saturday than what we would have seen on Sunday. If it was dry, I think that's totally a misconception. I think that's totally ridiculous. And and I know everybody was saying, I heard a lot of chatter this week, well, the TV's got to go out there and, and um, they got to come back for another day and these teams to stay another day and all that kind of stuff. But you can't help Mother Nature. And uh, sometimes Mother Nature throws your curveball. And uh, unfortunately, I think we would have been better off laying there on Sunday, but running there on Sunday. But they ran on Saturday and the race is over and uh, there's nothing you can do about it. But Justin Marks, you know, again, he deserves some credit for the win. I mean, he, he went out there, and he stayed on course more than anybody, really. Um, he did a good job, won his first career in NASCAR Xfinity Series race. Sam Horner, Jr., second. Ryan Blaney, Ty Dillon, Justin Allgaier, top five. Eric Jones, Andy Lally, the former NASCAR Woodson Cup, or Sprint Cup Rookie of the Year. Brendan Gaughan was eighth, ninth. Elliot Sadler, then Brendan Poole was tenth there at Mid-Ohio, the Mid-Ohio Challenge, they call it now, at uh, Mid-Ohio Street, street car, or Sport Car Course there um, this weekend. Quick rundown of the chase. There's five races to go till the chase cut off in the Xfinity Series. You've got Elliott Sadler. Uh, he leads the points right now. And then it's Daniel Suarez, Ty Dillon, Eric Jones, Justin Allgaier, Brendan Gaughan, Brendan Poole, Brandon Jones, Darrell Wallace Jr., Ryan Reed, Ryan Sieg, and Blake Cook. Your top 12. Ross Chastain in the four. He's three points out of 12. That's something to keep an eye on him and Blake Cook there battling for that last spot. I think everybody else from 11th up is pretty much in. But Blake Cook and Ross Chastain could decide it. I think Dakota Armstrong, with a couple of decent runs, might be able to find his way in there. But uh, that team hasn't really run that good this year. So uh, he's 18 points back, but with some help, he might be able to get in there. But really, it's between Blake Cook and Ross Chastain for the final uh, chase spot there in the NASCAR Xfinity Series. John Harley, your last thoughts there on Mid-Ohio for the Xfinity Series race. 
I would have liked to have seen a run whenever it was dry. I think road court racing is very exciting lately because the double file restarts make it really exciting with the tight courses and everything. But just because it rained and there were so many spins, it didn't even look like professional racing. It looked like semi-street stocks on a Saturday night where they're just piling them up because they're driving over their heads. They were driving over their heads because Mother Nature made it that way. Agreed. I totally agree with you there, John. It was, uh, it was, it was, you know, something that I think if they want to run in the rain, they're really gonna have to work on. You know, Kenny Wallace talked about it last night. You know, when he ran in the rain back in 1999 or back in 2009, excuse me, I believe it was Canada when they ran in the rain. You could hardly see. That's another thing. You know, I don't think these drivers could really see all that well. It was just, it was a disaster. I, I'm afraid. And when they spin out as much as they do, you can say, well, they're not going as fast, and that's true. But I think it can hurt somebody. You know, these cars still have a lot of horsepower. If you don't know where you're going and, and you can't really see in front of you and somebody spins in front of you, you don't see them, goodness gracious, you can spin out and hurt somebody. And, and the spotters might not be able to see. I just thought it was kind of a, a um, you know, trying to rush to get the race in isn't a very good thing. And uh, we got away with it on Saturday as far as nobody getting hurt. But if we continue that in the future, um, I don't think we'd be as fortunate, unfortunately. Um, speaking of that, you know, it was a tough week for, NAS- for the racing community the NASCAR community, however you want to call it, Brian Clawson's death. I'll tell you, this kid, 27 years old, uh, we talked about him last week on the show. I thought he was a great talent, a guy who um, he tried his hand in NASCAR a couple of years ago, ran in Indy 3 Indianapolis 500 as well, but uh, about 10 years, 8 years ago, ran in NASCAR, did a great job. I thought he did a fine job. Need a little bit more seasoning, um, but I think that was coming. I always like to say you can slow him down, but you can't speed him up, and I think he needs to be kind of lowed down a little bit and he'd been really successful. Um, but he got killed in a race on Saturday night uh, after got, he died on Sunday night after injuries from Saturday night race a couple, two weeks ago. And it was tough. You know, uh, Nashville, Knoxville Nationals this weekend, a big race for those sprint cars. Uh, it was a tough weekend for everybody. And it almost made me, John, feel uh, guilty as a race fan this weekend because you sit there and you say, man, here's a kid in the prime of his life got a beautiful girlfriend, beautiful fiance, everything's going good, and because he races and because I love racing and because the fans want to see racing, uh, you know, he loses his life. It was an awful, awful situation. But also, it makes you proud of the racing community. And, I mean, we saw so many examples this week, John, of the racing community stepping up, helping the Clawson family, helping uh, the driver that hit Brian Clawson as well kind of overcome or get, you know, grieve a little bit with this situation, what were your thoughts on this whole Brian Clawson situation? Well, I wrote a column for SpeedwayMedia.com this week talking about it. And um, after all the stuff you saw at Knoxville, you saw all the stickers on the Xfinity cars. You saw the auction that they had Friday at the Knoxville Nationals after Ricky Stenhouse paced the field in Clawson's car on Thursday night. Tony Stewart bought Brian Clawson's favorite helmet for $32,000 and handed it back to his fiance. I mean, all told, by the end of the auction, they said Stewart was out close to fifty grand, and that's nothing to Stewart, but it's very helpful to the family. Um, the way the sprint car community embraced their family, they said the line 
was already out the in I mean out like around the block to get to Clawson's hauler for they for them to sell T shirts. Danica Patrick was in selling T shirts because they needed the help. Um Danica and Ricky Stenhouse, very good friends with Clawson and his fiance. Um but one of the things that bother I mean I was thinking about as the weekend went on and as the week went by was how there was nobody at fault. There was no way in the world that Ryan Graff could have avoided him. Clawson got clipped by a lap car as he was in the lead. He flipped, landed, and there was no place for Ryan Graff to go. And I was thinking about Ryan Graff and and decided to check on some things today. I looked at his Facebook page, and I think one of the best quotes, because he said he was getting ready to, he was actually getting ready to go run at Susquehanna Speedway in Pennsylvania. Tim Clawson, Brian's dad, put a message on Ryan Graff's Facebook page saying, Ryan, I'm happy to see that you are racing, buddy. I know of no better way to honor Brian than getting back out there and competing. As we talked about it, it would crush BC to think for even a moment that a young driver would give up their dream of racing. Best of luck and park it, buddy. That is the ultimate class act. When you have the father who lost his son reaching out to the driver who had nowhere to go, and got involved in the accident that wound up taking his son's life. And he reached out to him to say, hey, stay in the car, keep competing, keep following your dream. That is an amazing man. I mean, three days after his son's death, I don't know if I could have done that. If I, I, mean, if my, if I lost my son three days afterwards, I don't know if I'm writing a Facebook message to the guy who was involved in the accident through no fault of his own. I mean, Brian wound up parked on the front, I mean, coming out of turn four, and there was nowhere for Ryan Greth to go. But the outpouring of support, the outpouring of love, the way, I mean, Stenhouse is driving the same fast and all paint scheme that Brian Clawson mm-hmm. drove when he drove Xfinity for Chip Ganassi Racing. Brian Clawson will never be forgotten. He was trying to do something that was just amazing this year to run 200 races. And one of them was even That's the crazy. Indy 500. And he went yeah. out after the Indy 500, went to Kokomo Speedway, and won that night. So, I mean, Brian Clawson as Robin Miller, the ultimate curmudgeon of racing, but also nobody knows dirt track racing, Midwest racing like Robin Miller. And Robin Miller said he was a damn good driver. And you don't get a better compliment than that. Absolutely not. I agree. And, and you know, it was amazing. And, listen, I've come out and I've, you know, um, commented on a lot about Danica Patrick on her ability in this sport and how she's performed in that 10 car over the past couple of years. But it was, it was a really, really nice gesture, what she went out and did on Saturday. It really was. Um, selling the T-shirts to Brian Clawson. It just shows you, you know, it doesn't matter um, who you are or – it doesn't matter what it, the littlest things you can do. You know, she went out there, and that's a that's a big deal. I'm not trying to say it's a little thing, but even just selling T-shirts, it helps people out. You know, and um, that was awesome what Tony Stewart did. You know, you mentioned the thirty-two thousand dollars he gave 
uh, Brian's helmet back. That was awesome what Tony Stewart did. And even a 50-50, I know there was a 50-50 there as well this week, right? And they gave the money back 50-50 to... 50-50 was uh, $20,000, and the person who won the 50-50 gave it to the Clawson family, and Knoxville, Knoxville Speedway gave their 50% to the Clawson family, so that's forty grand right there, plus the amount of money they raised in the auction. So just the hearts, the the care and everything like that. The one thing I was happy about is looking at Ryan Gress' Facebook page. Nobody went on there and and started bashing him about it was his fault or anything like that. If you remember when Dale Earnhardt Sr. was killed, Sterling Marlin had death threats. Uh-huh. He had everything known to man. It took Dale Jr. to go out and face the media and say, hey, Sterling didn't do anything wrong. It was a racing deal. They got into each other, and it happened. It was a freak accident. The same thing here, and when you have Tim Clawson putting that on Ryan Greff's Facebook page, that's just phenomenal. And you look through it, you see some of the track promoters in Pennsylvania showing their support, saying, hey, we're with you, we're praying with you, because you know it's not easy for Ryan Greff to wake up every morning and not have survivor's guilt saying, I survived. How the heck did this happen? I didn't I didn't do anything wrong, and now we lost one of the best competitors we had in open-wheel dirt racing and open-wheel paved racing. I mean, Clawson ran for Stewart in the midgets and USAC sprints. You don't get a ride with Tony Stewart if you suck. That I promise you. <laughs> but the thing is, here's this guy. And he, he just loved to race so much. And he, he usually ran 115, 120 nights a year, and he got this bright idea. I'd rather I'd rather race and do nothing, so why not try to do 200? And he was 117 yeah. so, I mean, in. That's crazy. I mean, and that just shows you how much you love racing. You have to go and do that. And it was a tough week, you know. And, again, I was I remember, you know, I, I don't know if you know, the listeners know this, and I don't know if you even know what you're even aware, but, um, I'm, my fiance and I, you know, we didn't want to be bonded was because of racing. And I remember, you know, a day or two after this, it was talking to her and just saying, man, I almost feel guilty. You know, almost, you almost feel guilty about it. You know, you were sick to your stomach thinking about that poor kid. You know, I mean, he can't even enjoy the simple, you know, and, and his family, his family uh, tore up. I mean, it was awful. It was an awful situation. So it was great to see the racing community come around this weekend. And, you know, the dangers of racing, it's, it's, it's a difficult Thing, especially in the lower divisions where these guys race on the dirt. You know, we saw it with Jason Leffler as well where they don't have the safety we have in the Cup Series. They don't have safer barriers. They don't have all the all the technology to help make these cars safer because it's kind of, it's the point is to keep the costs down. And a lot of these safety costs cost money. Let's just face it that way. So um, running in these dirt things, it, it's difficult because you know, it's not nearly as safe as the Cup Series or the Xfinity Series or even the Camper Motor Truck Series. So, um, you know, that that's unfortunate. And that's, you know, but so you really admire these guys who go out there every day, run, try and run 200 races, knowing they're they're putting their lives on the line every day uh, to go out and, and perform it and have fun racing. I mean, and, and we get to enjoy their talents because I know when I watch Brian Clawson race, I enjoy his talents a lot. He was a guy I was really pulling for. Um, and, you know, for whatever reason, now his NASCAR career didn't uh, fizzled out. But, you know, when he went to the Indianapolis 500, man, that was the guy I always looked for. And it's going to be hard next year for me personally to go to that, to watch that Indianapolis 500 
and not see his name in there because it was a guy, again, that I always pulled for when I watched Indianapolis because I knew what his talents were. And I just felt if he had the right opportunity, uh, he could get in, he can get in and really run good, and I think he would have been an asset to any racing series he was in. So uh, a really, really tough deal. There uh, closing remarks, John, on, on Brian Clawson. Well, I had a buddy of mine from central Pennsylvania, a uh, diehard sprint car fan, loves going to sprint car racing. Um, went to a track in central Pennsylvania where Clawson happened to run earlier this year. And he made sure that he goes and says hi. Um, um, Clawson shook everybody's hand, almost missed the start of the heat race because he was still talking and saying hello to everybody. And then he threw his helmet on, strapped himself in, and got pushed off. But they were starting to push cars off, and he's still shaking everybody's hand in the infield. Um, one of the things you looked at in uh, Stewart this week, not only did he lose Brian Clawson, one of his old drivers and a friend on uh, at the track, the next day one of his old midget owners and crew chiefs, Larry Howard, passed away. So Stewart, uh, one of the few times you see him serious as a heart attack on his Twitter feed, he said, do me a favor, pick up the phone, call and text your friends and family, just tell them you love them today. That shows how much something like that hits home. I mean, you lose a friend. They're, they're, they're They're in first place, they're leading the race, and then they're gone. You never know yeah, it, it, when your next turn's going to be. You never know if you're going to make it down the straightaway. We are fans of a dangerous sport. These guys, every time they strap their helmets on and buckle up, their life could be on the line. And mm-hmm. for the people who root to see wreck, watch races to see wreck, I hope they don't watch racing anymore because we don't need those type of fans. I want to see the cars run. Every time someone wrecks, you'll hold your breath. I mean, you look when we lost Dale Earnhardt Sr. Stewart was in third place, got turned around on the backstretch at Daytona, flipped over half the field and landed on Bobby Labonte in 30th. And, I I mean, he barrel-rolled six times going down the backstretch. You thought he was gone. And Earnhardt, where it looked like a minor accident, and we lost him. So you never know what's going to happen. Yeah, and compare, yeah, you're absolutely right about that Stewart wreck. And you know, it, again, we've come so far in NASCAR with safety. Thank goodness, because uh, we haven't had a death since since Dale Earnhardt. You know, and that's a good step in the right direction for the sport because we've seen a lot of injuries, a lot of wrecks. You know, we didn't see the the type of injuries we used to see. Short juniors out with a concussion. I think Eric Four had a concussion a couple of years ago, but the injuries used to be frequent. We used to, you know, I remember when Terry Labonte won his championship, did it with a broken wrist. Rusty Wallace broke his wrist a couple of times. It just shows you, and I, that's where you got to give NASCAR a lot of credit. And we do, you know, criticize them a lot on this show. But where you got to give them credit is where they've come far in safety. I think they were a little behind in that 2001. I think they could have done a lot more, and that they showed that um, after the death of Dale Earnhardt, where they, they made the Hunts Touchings or Hunts device um, mandate, they man, made that mandatory. They uh, made uh, full-face helmets mandatory. So those were all steps in the right direction. And now NASCAR with the safer walls and the safer cars have uh, really come a long way since then. So, um, and, and, that's a, and that's something that we have to commemorate because, you know, I think we almost take that for granted here. We've had 15 years plus, 15 years plus now where we haven't lost a driver 
Um, and haven't really had a driver too seriously injured. Sure, we see some broken backs. I think Michael Onet broke his back at Daytona in the Xfinity Series a bunch of years ago. Uh, you know, of course, Kyle Busch's injury uh, last year. So we've seen some, some scary wrecks, but we've come a long way. And we still got to keep that safety needle going because if we don't, you know, stuff like this can happen. And we never want to see that, you know. And I will always make safety a number one priority. And that was part of the reason why Saturday I had a big problem with it because, again, you know, you could get somebody hurt. And, you know, if somebody's spinning, the spotters might not see the guy spinning, especially if we're at a track that's four miles big, long, like we're going to have in a couple of weeks at Road America. Uh, you know, that could cause a major issue. So uh, just keep that in mind when these cars are spinning out for sure. 917-889-8280 here if you want to join the conversation on talking in circles, uh, John. We got, well, Clayton, uh, while you're talking safety, well, I mean, because safety is a moving target. But one of the things, as um, the sprint cars, midgets, all that, they're more open than a cup car is. The roll cages are as solid as a cup or Xfinity car is. But one of the things that you saw when Tony Stewart wrecked and shattered his leg, the drive shaft came up. Stewart went back to the shop with Jimmy Carr, and they found a way to make sure the drive shaft doesn't come through the floorboards anymore and hurt a driver. The safety is always moving forward at those levels, too, because there are people like Tony Stewart, Casey Kane, um, Kyle Larson, Justin Marks, all participating in those lower levels to try to build the safety up and continue it because the last thing they want to do is going they don't want to the last thing they would want to do is have to go to Kokomo Speedway on August 24th for the memorial for Brian Clawson. They don't want to they want to they want to go head to head with their uh competitors. They don't want to mourn them. Agreed and and that's just, you know, and again, they can come a long way in safety, but I think they have come a long way in safety in those divisions, but they don't have the money uh, that NASCAR has to be able to implement a lot of the things we've seen in NASCAR. And 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 for that racing, um, for those ra- those racing series, it's almost you know like I said, it costs a lot of money, and they want to keep the costs down a little bit so the average person can do this. Um, so it's kind of a double-edged sword there in the lower divisions. So, uh, but you know, our thoughts and prayers are still with, and I know they're still grieving. Brian Clawson's family and friends. Uh, they'll never get over that, and uh, we'll always remember him on this show here on Talking Circles. Uh, we move on here. Um, silly season news, John. We're in August, you know, and the silly season's been very, very slow this year, slow to move because of the chartering system in the Cup Series. So there hasn't been a lot of news, but there's been a couple of tidbits here in the last couple of days that have kind of caught our attention that we need to discuss here. The first one is Barney Visser's comments. Barney Visser, the owner of Furniture Row Racing, came out and said about Eric Jones' future with the team that he doesn't know if the, if that if he's going to drive for the team past 2017. It's a, so it's a one-year contract for Jones. There's a lot of speculation. Eric Jones, obviously, he's run for Joe Gibbs Racing, the Joe Gibbs Racing development driver, moving to the Cup Series next year with Furniture Row. But it sounds like it's a one-year deal. So people are thinking he's going to go back to Joe Gibbs Racing. Um, there was a lot of speculation about Matt Kenseth's retirement. Kenseth came out today, John, and said, you know, I haven't really talked to anybody about it. Um, he does not even think about retirement. And he's running really, really good. That's just probably the best we've seen Kenseth since his championship years. 
um, at, at Roush. You know, he kind of went through a little bit of a lull there, for whether that was Roush or whether that was Kenton, you could argue. But uh, now he's back. He's running up in the front every day, and he's running really good stuff. So I don't think retirement is on his, you know, near future at all. Um, so that leaves, you know, who? Really, who's going to be out at Joe Gibbs Racing, whether we'll see uh, maybe Kenton does retire and he's bluffing. I mean, what do you make of this? these comments? Do you see Jones staying at uh, Furniture Row Racing past 2017, John? Well, according to uh, what I read on NASCAR Talk on NBC Sports, um, Kansas said flat out he's not ready to retire. He hasn't discussed his master plan for 2020 with Joe Gibbs yet, but he's not retiring. He's still competitive. Him and Jason Radcliffe are running great together. Uh, they're in competitive stuff. They're a threat to win every week in and out. The running joke was, and the funny part was, um, whenever they asked him about retirement at the press conference about Tide sponsoring the 20 for Darlington, um, Kenza said, actually, Carl's on the hot seat, talking about Carl Edwards or maybe Kyle Bush. Well, we know Kyle Bush is never going anywhere as long as he's running the way he does. So, I really don't see – now, I think – I always thought Hamlin was on solid ground because him and FedEx have been together for years. Denny used to have the house right next door to Joe Gibbs, sort of like an extra family member that just won't go away. Um, and Denny's running good. I mean, he's got the crew chief yeah. he wants and Mike Wheeler. He's running well. Um, they had the experimental part through the middle of the season, which they could do by winning the Daytona 500. But I think Denny Hamlin's running great. Eric Jones' deal with Furniture Rose only for one year, plus the five-hour energy deal is only for one year. So who knows what's going to happen next year with this, I mean, in 2018 with the 77 car. It could be Eric Jones back again, but Barney Visser doesn't think so. And Barney Visser wanted a two- to three-year deal to have some sort of stability, but he also thinks because of the way Furniture Row is running, the way Furniture Row has teamed up with Joe Gibbs Racing, that if Eric Jones does flock back to Joe Gibbs, somebody good will want to hop in that 77 car. 917-889-8280, absolutely. That'll be a premier ride, and you have to wonder for Jones, you know, you talk about Denny Hamlin. I think, Den- you know, look at Denny Hamlin. He's in his final year of his contract. And I believe with these teams and these big, if you're a big-name driver like Denny Hamlin, you usually don't go into a final year of a contract with the team you're currently with unless you, unless there's some speculation of, well, maybe he won't be back. You know, Ryan Newman's doing that this year, and they're kind of trying to figure out what they're going to do with Ty Dillon over there at RCR. So that's why Ryan Newman's kind of went into this deal. But, you, you know, look at Dale Earnhardt Jr. He sat down with Rick Hendrick. He's kind of figured it out. You know, there's no doubt uh, in anybody's mind a junior – um, will run the past 2017 unless the injuries have something to do with it at Hendrick Motorsports. You know, but if he gets into August next year, Junior, and he doesn't have anything signed, I think people will start to get worried. Um, Hamlin, on the other hand, he's got a year to work this out here, but I, I think it's very interesting that he's in a final year of his contract and there's talk that uh, Eric Jones is going to go back to Joe Gibbs Racing because that's a very premier ride. But FedEx, you know, a lot of people think FedEx – is tied in with Denny Hamlin. That's not the case. You know, they sponsor the Washington Redskins Stadium in in Washington, D.C., in Maryland there, uh, FedEx Field. And, of course, Joe Gibbs' his ties with the Redskins are deep. And that's where that sponsorship comes from, from Joe Gibbs, from the, his days with the Washington Redskins. So 
you could say, well, if, if Hamlin leaves, you know, he's not might not take FedEx with him, so FedEx, so Eric Jones can slide into that 11 car with FedEx. Now, this is a guy who won the Daytona 500 this year, who's won a lot of races in Cup. If that's a guy who's on the hot seat and a guy who uh, is a free agent after next season, oh my goodness, he, you know, that that could if and where he's going to end up because that could that's somebody's going to move somebody out because Hamlin's a guy who a lot of people are going to want to get their hands on. So. Um, you know, it's interesting. It's a very interesting thing to debate here because that those, those comments. You know, you think Hamlin, uh, Joe Gibbs Racing has four really good drivers who aren't going anywhere, and you would think, oh, well, Joe's going to be there at Furniture Row for a while, but it doesn't sound like that at all. So you have to wonder what the the big plan is over there at Joe Gibbs Racing, and what a what a uh, what a big time deal that would be for the NASCAR silly season in 2017 if there's speculation that Hamlin won't be back. After at Joe gets racing after next year. Well, both um, Carl Edwards and Matt Kenseth's contracts run out at the end of 2017 at Joe Gibbs Racing, so that adds the speculation to it right there. Um, Hamlin supposed to run out at the end of this year, but if his contract's running out at the end of the year, this is the quietest free agent to be I've ever heard of. Because normally everybody is like... 2017 is too. I was, I was looking at Jayski's thing, and it says 2016, but it's so, it's real quiet over there. I mean, they've got three cars, three solid drivers, three guys who've competed for cup championships. Oh, yeah, they're great teams. Won one in the past. Bush has won one. Hamlin and uh, Carl Edwards both have come down to the final race before. You've got four winning drivers there who all have won this year. They're all in the chase this year. Pretty good problem to have when you have those four, plus you got the other kid knocking on the door. Oh, yeah, and then they got uh, the future with Daniel Suarez, down the road potentially, and look what William Byron's done in the truck series. You know, you have to think he's going to be on the fast track for the Cup Series, and there's not a whole lot of seats now. You know, with this uh, with this chartering system, you know, these seats are, are going to be few and far between. So, because you can, I, I don't see a team going past one unchartered team. You know, I don't think Penske is going to be unchartered because of because uh, they can potentially knock out their own team uh, with the Wood Brothers and, and vice versa. So, um, I think a charter is very important, and, and that will lead us to our next topic. But first off, we have a caller here. Um, on Talking Circles, now in seven eight eight nine eight two eight zero. If you want to join the conversation here on Talking Circles, what's your name? Where are you calling from? It's Ryan calling from Virginia. Hi, Ryan. How you doing? Um, what do you want to talk about tonight? I've already talked about Eric Jones. What are your What are your thoughts here? It was a very interesting comment from Barney Visser there. Uh, it sounds like he's not going to be back at Furniture Row after twenty seventeen. What are your thoughts? Well, the, the the two biggest things that pop out at me that really surprised me is how many people were shocked by his by his remarks. I wasn't shocked at all, and I don't think any you know anybody that follows the sport really closely, you know, they already you know they we already seen this coming. That we we were just waiting for it to finally happen because uh, I heard the tail end of what John was saying a second ago about Gibbs having uh, having a good problem of having four winning and and championship contending drivers and having young drivers knocking on on the door for those seats. You know, that's a good thing for Gibbs to have, and we all knew that Eric Jones was not going to be far from Cub Series. You know, he should have already been in this year, according to some people. Then, according to other people, he needed, he needed a few more years of, of Xfinity. But to me, 
he was already way ahead of schedule, just like his teammate William Byron over there. They are both just way ahead of schedule on their progression, and it's like they're already ready for Cup Series, and they haven't even had a whole lot of experience when you really think about it yet. Jones is in his first full season of Xfinity now, and he ran one full season in the trucks. You know, that that to most people is not really a long time of driving because he made select stars before that. But, but when you look at all of that, he's already uh, potentially the uh, driver to beat for the Xfinity Series Championship, and now he's finally getting promoted to a full-time cup ride over there at Furniture Road. And the fact that Vista said he's not coming back after 2017, it's not a shock to me at all because with the fact that Matt Kendiff is close to retirement, even though he, he said he has no plans for it, you know, Gibbs is not just going to keep him there and, it, and expect to lose Eric Jones. I mean, I mean, they're not, they can't afford to lose Eric Jones. I mean, we've already seen what, what happens to some drivers like, like Logano and Brad Keselowski, who Penske was able to sweep up through situations where the teams and organization that they drove for didn't have no homes for them. You know, Hendrick kept Mark Martin over there after his good season in 09. Mark never did nothing after that. And that, that, that could still be Brad in the five car. He could have won a championship for them instead of Penske. But, you know, that's just the way it works sometimes. The fact that he may not be back with first row after 2017 is not a surprise to me at all. But it still surprises me that people are shocked by that. I, just, I can't get over that. It's like, what's there to be shocked about? There's quite a few drivers, just at least three right now, that are on loan. Ryan Bunny's on loan from Penske to Wood Brothers. You know, you got uh, Chris Busher from Roush to uh, uh, Front Row. You got Ty Dillon doing select events over there at Family Levine Race. I mean, all these drivers are on right. loan where they're at. You know, this is this is not a, a shocking ordeal. I just, I was shocked that it wasn't 2017 because I don't see Kenseth retiring. I really don't. You know, he's running too good. He's a guy who a lot of people, you know, we heard a crew member at Joe Gibbs Racing last year, two years ago, say, he thinks he's the best driver in the sport. Joe Gibbs thinks he's a great driver. I think they really believe Kenseth is a big asset there for that organization, and he still runs very, very good. I mean, Matt Kenseth, you look at him every week, it's not like he's like an old 43 where you're kind of sitting there going, well, you can put somebody else in that car and they run good. I think Kenseth ultimately runs as be- about as best as you can in that car. Um, but maybe you're right. Maybe they want to go younger. Maybe uh, the, the potential sponsor that they have. And that's another thing. You know, he doesn't have a sponsorship for next year, so maybe – We'll keep our eye out. If these sponsors sign whatever sp- signs with Kenseth next year to sponsor that 20 car, whether it is Tide, the, the Procter, and Gamble, Procter and Gamble slash Tide, whether it is a multi-year contract, if it's a multi-year contract, they, they're going to want to know who the driver is. And, it, and whether or not Matt Kenseth is going to be there, you have to look at the language and kind of take that into consideration. So uh, very interesting things going on there at Joe Gibbs Racing. Um, you know, I... That's the only reason why I was shocked. You, know, you mentioned um, Chris Buescher. I think Chris Buescher ultimately, when Biffle retires in 2017, to see him move into the 16, um, or when they, when Biffle's contract runs up, I should say, uh, and Ty Dillon's going to be an RCR next year, whether that's an RCR affiliated car or whatnot. So you're right, but um, I think a lot of people kind of thought Jones would be there a lot longer than what he would be to one, for the one year. Uh, final thoughts. Well, the one thing, and on while we're talking about Kenseth there, um, if you notice. Since Matt Kenseth came to Joe Gibbs Racing, everybody has run better. They were struggling for a little while, but Kenseth was, especially when the Toyotas were down in the middle of last year, Kenseth was still running up front once Toyota got everything together. But I think Kenseth is sort of the glue that keeps that organization together. Kyle has talent out the wazoo. Denny's consistent. But Matt Kenseth, I think, is the glue who patches everybody together. I think that, again, it's one of those ones. Toyota wanted Eric Jones in Cup next year. They even said it at Speed Weeks. 
that Eric Jones was going to be in a cup car next year. They didn't know where yet, but he was going to be in a cup car. And Toyota brought him up through the late model ranks, to the truck series, to the Xfinity, and Toyota's the one that wants him in a cup, especially with the way Ford is attacking going after younger drivers now. I think William Byron goes into that 20 car next year in the Xfinity series because he's doing so so phenomenally well for Cowboys Motorsports. But I think the four drivers that Gibbs has, Eric Jones is still young. I mean, he's good, but we haven't seen him in a cup car other than the couple races he filled in for Kyle Busch last year. You're right. Chase Elliott and uh, Ryan Blaney are very good drivers, but they're having the rough patches. You don't Mm -hmm. see rough patches with Carl Edwards, Denny Hamlin, Matt Kenseth, or Kyle Busch. They're consistently there all the time. Do you want to take a chance of losing the consistency that Matt Kenseth is or Carl Edwards is or Denny Hamlin is to rush the kid up and bring him back to your place so you can have him in your house? Or do you want to season him somewhere else and then when the time's right, bring him home? Yeah, and that's got it. That's what's interesting too is the one-year deal with Furniture Row because maybe he can get his feet wet, kind of do growing pains in his rookie year, and then be able to move into a uh, much more prominent ride in his second year. So something definitely keep your eye on. Another thing, guys, that came out. This was, uh, you know, when I created this show earlier this afternoon, I didn't expect to be talking about this, but it's gotten a lot of play in the last in recent hours here on on uh, on the internet and Race Chaser Online. A guy. A, a, Guy wrote it named Rents Brown about Paul Menard possibly going to Penske, Team Penske. Menard sponsors Team Penske's IndyCar teams. Paul Menard's in his final year of his contract at Richard Childress Racing. Uh, they've kind of struggled this year. It hasn't really been uh, a great year for Paul Menard. Paul Menard's really, um, I think, turned a corner as a driver. He's made a chase couple of, last couple of last year at least. Um, so, a lot of interesting stuff going on there with Paul Menard, but going to a third car at Team Penske. The article mentioned that he doesn't think it would happen if they don't get a charter. Well, here's my thing with this whole thing. Uh, I don't think they're going to get a charter for that for that third car, Team Penske. I really don't. I don't think you're going to see them go out and get a charter because they mentioned maybe buying it from the 32 team. That 32 team's come out and said they're going to align with a bigger organization next year. Personally, I think it's going to be Richard Petty Motorsports, and you might see Jeff Burton in that car. We haven't heard anything yet. That's just me speculating. On that, um, but I don't see them. I don't see Menard moving from a charter team to a non-charter team, even even if it is Team Penske. You know, I know the relationship with uh, with Penske is good for John Menard. John Menard, you know, he's Paul's going to always have a, have a ride in the Cup Series because his, his dad helps foot the bill there. Uh, the sponsorship's always there, so he's always going to have a ride. I just think Richard Childress knows that. He, that's a, a lot of money to him. I think they're going to get this, this deal locked up here. And I think it's going to be Ryan Newman who could potentially be in trouble at Richard Childress Racing. But John Harlow first, and then we'll go to Ryan. Thoughts quick on um, Paul Menard going to Penske. Do you see that happening at all? I wouldn't, I wouldn't say no. There's enough of the teams that have charters that can be bought. I mean, for what Tommy Baldwin invests into his car and making it on what he does, he would make more money by selling his charter than he will through sponsorship and 
racing it out. I could see between John Menard and Roger Penske, you got two billionaires, so they can cash pony up whatever money they want to buy a charter. Go fast! I mean, fast lane. Go fast racing has a charter that could be bought. Uh, Levine Family Racing probably has a charter that could be bought. The BK Racing teams, they could probably end up the as a charter seller. You have uh, Front Row Motorsports, even though they have a win this year, they could end up selling a charter. You never know. And it for this to pop out when it has, and Clayton, you and I have speculated on this a few times, that Paul Menard probably is not very happy at Childress because he's third, sometimes fourth on the totem pole, because I bet if Ty is running in the Circle Sport Levine family racing car, that's an RCR vehicle. He may not be getting the good stuff, because remember, Slugger Labby was his crew chief. They ran great. Slugger doesn't want to be on the road anymore. They give, <coughs> excuse me, um, Menard, an engineer, to be the crew chief. Then all of a sudden, Slugger Labby shows up with Ty, I mean, with uh, Austin Dillon. And if I'm Paul yep. Menard, and if I'm John Menard, saying I'm putting I'm footing a twenty million dollar a year bill for my son to have a competitive ride, and you don't even give me the crew chief that he wants, it's something that you could think about. I mean, Roger Penske's very good at putting the right people with the right uh, right drivers with the right crew chiefs. And whenever it was brought up earlier about Joey Logano and Brad Keselowski finding their way to Penske, where they could have been with Gibbs still and Hendrick Motorsports, I really think Brad Keselowski, the best thing that could have happened to him was going to Penske, where he could be the number one car instead of being the number four car, the experimental car, which is five, has always been at Hendrick Motorsports. And Joey Logano, he was mediocre at best driving for Joe Gibbs. He was thrown in a little too early. Expectations were huge. He didn't live up to them. Gibbs had a chance to get consistency in Matt Kenseth, so they put him in the 20 car. Joey wound up in the 22, found a perfect crew chief for him in Todd Gordon, and Joey has turned the light switch on. I can see Mm -hmm. something like that with Paul Menard going to Penske, Roger Penske putting him with the right guy, light bulb goes on, Paul Menard is competitive. And another thing interesting is we have another caller here, which I'll take in a second, um, is the Xfinity Series team. You know, they've, they've added a team to the Xfinity Series team Penske has for next season. They haven't announced who the driver or the sponsor is going to be. And the guy who wrote it suggested maybe that sponsorship is coming from Menards as well. Uh, we'll take a caller, then we'll get Ryan's opinion on this here real quick. Um, What's your name? Where are you calling from, sir? I'm Lee in Virginia. Hi, Lee. Um, what do you want to talk about? I wanted to talk about what you guys were talking about with the Jones and the uh, and the Paul Menard thing. Uh, the Menard thing I just heard about now, which is interesting. But uh, Eric Jones, I think the thing you need to watch on that deal with the 77 is, and, and might clue you on where he's headed for 2018, is whoever they put as crew chief for that 77 car. Uh, you look at it, there's no crew chief named yet, and, and they kind of asked Jones before, who do you want to be your crew chief? They're trying to trying to get it during one of the interviews when, when it was announced. 
oh, well, who do you want? And he was, he was kind of giving a little bit of a smirk, kind of giving smart Alec remarks, saying, oh, so maybe he knows who the crew chief's going to be, and they don't want to tell tip their hand yet because it might tip their hand in 2018. So keep an eye on that one. Um, that's what I think, anyway. And B, uh, the Menard thing is interesting as well. There's another team there that you guys failed to mention that could sell their charter, and that's the 98 team there with premium motorsports. Um, you know, Jay Robinson's a good guy, a smart guy. He's got an investor, but he's been doing this a long time. But you know what? This is a very, very this is a billionaire, billionaire sport now, and Jay Robinson is not that. And, you know, I just think he's – I know he's got a charter and he'll be able to compete with that charter as long as he has it, but how much is he going to be able to compete? And eventually he's going to have to get out anyway. So if John Menard and, and Roger Penske come with enough dollars, I think you would either see them lease it for a year or, or at least buy it from the, for, for the immediate future. So there's another one there. No question about it. Yeah. And they lease their charter currently to 4016 at HCOM Motorsports. Ryan, what are your thoughts here? Uh, before I let you go on the Paul Menard situation. Well, for the uh, for the Paul Menard situation, though, uh, John pretty much hit on everything that I was going to say. I would not be one bit surprised because of the fact that Menard now sponsors uh, <clears throat> Penske and IndyCar teams and the fact that they really – I know John Menard probably wants a, a charter for but they don't have to have a charter for well, as good as that, as, as that equipment is there. They should make the race no matter what. That's pretty much uh, – to say that they would not be willing to take the chance would be, you know, like it would just be like you'd be underestimating them because the Wood Brothers out of nowhere have not had to run a full-time season in several years. All of a sudden, decide to run a full-time season with Ryan Blake and with more help from Ford and Penske, and they don't they don't have a charter at all. They decided to make that jump. If they're willing to make that jump, there's no reason why Penske and John Menard would not be willing to make that jump and do it without a charter as a third team over there. Are and you going to willing to take that chance and knock your own team out? If you're Roger Penske and John Menard and Paul Menard there with with knocking the Wood Brothers who don't have a charter, are you going to knock their own team out? I don't know if they'll do that. That's another that's another good point there too. And I'm thinking that on the premium motorsports deal, I think you can only you can only lease your charter once every five years, if I'm not mistaken. We had to had to go back and look at that. But I thought I remember seeing at the beginning of the year when they announced it that they could you know, a team could only lease it once in like every five years or so. If that's the case there, Premier is supposed to be getting theirs back next year, and who knows what will happen from there. Yeah, no, that's, that's very interesting. That's a good point. Uh, there's a lot of um, details that were kind of in the air, you know, that a lot of people really weren't sure on when that whole chartering system was announced uh, earlier in the year. But, Ryan, again, thank you so much for uh, calling the show. You do a great job and help us out every week. We appreciate that. Uh, be sure to call again next week here on Talking Circles. Um you know, it, it is interesting, and Lee, you brought up a lot of good points uh, there as far as other teams who can sell the charters. But, uh, again, you know, I, I think the best point you made here, John, the best point Lee made was the fact that I don't see Team Penske getting another charter and it potentially knocking out the Wood Brothers. I don't think – I think it's a disservice to the Wood Brothers. Um, you know, and you can say, well, they're not going to do it next year, and that's true. They're not going to do it next year. But down the road when, the, you know, maybe other teams sit there and go, well, I'll run without a charter – then you get to the point where you start might knocking each other out. And I think down the road, three, four, five years, um, I just don't see it happening. You know, and I think that's where this whole thing, it, it's a dream. It was, it's not a bad thought because of the fact that the Xfinity Series and all that, it made some sense, but I just don't see them taking that risk without a charter. And I don't see really anybody selling a charter at this point in the game. Maybe five years down the road they might, but I don't see it anywhere in this game, John, early, this well, early in the game as I mean, far as charter system is concerned. When it comes down to it, I there's a couple other back markers that are out there, the 40 car, the 98, 
I don't see Paul Menard and Penske equipment or Ryan Blaney and the Wood Brothers slash Penske equipment falling behind any of them in qualifying. So I don't really see them knocking each other out. They're just going to knock a further backmarker out or cause somebody who's a backmarker to say, okay, I'm not going to play this game anymore. And to Lee's comment about with Eric Jones, you can almost bank on it. Chris Gabehart's going to be his crew chief because that's who's crew chiefing them for Xfinity. They've had the full year together. They'll just go up together. Chris Gabehart is the crew chief for um, Eric Jones in the Xfinity series. So I I see him going up, and it'll be I, I see them being the match together with the 77, and we'll see what happens in 2018. It could be where Jones is still in the 77 car, and we're talking about nothing right now. You're right, and that's what makes this whole really interesting. Chris Gale, by the way, um, is the no, it's Chris Gale Jones, but oh, it's Chris, oh, you're right, you're right. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm wrong on that there. Um, for Virginia, hey, uh, anything else you want to add here, real quick, before we start dissecting Bristol? Uh, I just wanted to add that I think Jones is going to be in the in the 11 FedEx car in 2018. You can mark it now. Mark it down right now. Um, that's that's just my opinion on that one. Uh, you know, I thought. I think it's going to be interesting, this Bristol race coming up. Um, you know, to me, I, I find it comical at times because uh, when Bruton touched the track initially, all the fans went ballistic, and they said, you're going to like it better. And ever since then, the media and everybody who runs the sport, all the talking heads are telling you how much you like it better, and the fans are still griping about it, and how perfect it is, and yet now we're going to, do, to change it again here for now the third or fourth time since the original reconfiguration, so I find that comical. Mm. And I just want to see exactly how this thing will uh, will pan out. I, I want to see it. I, I think, uh, you know, I want to see how the new polishing, I guess is what they called it, of the racetrack will, will work, how it will do, and, and whether or not we'll get the old Bristol back. Um, I don't think we will, but, you know, you never know. It's going to be interesting to see how it plays out in the trucks of the guinea pigs tomorrow night, so we'll see. For, for sure. And, Lee, thanks so much for calling you had a lot, and we appreciate that. And that's something we're, John and I will touch on right now is the policy in the racetrack at Bristol. Um, you know, for, for people who don't know, uh, Kentucky Speedway, they did the same thing to Kentucky Speedway. And we're going to lose our, by the way, we're going to lose our live audience here in about a minute and a half, two minutes here. Uh, so if you want to listen to the rest of the show and you can't hear what we're about to say, um, go to our Facebook and our Twitter page on Talking Circles. But um, it is interesting, that whole Bristol thing, because the policy racetrack, it worked at Kentucky. It brought a lot of, uh, I thought, you know, it, it helped the racing there a lot. So they went to Bristol and said, you know what, uh, we're going to try it there. Here's my thing. There's two things with this. One is it's rained a lot in, in Tennessee and around that area. So I don't know if the rubber that they put down is really going to be, you know, uh, good there. And two, I don't think I don't think the problem with Bristol is a lack of grip on the bottom. I think the problem with Bristol is the way the track is angled in the corners. I just don't think the bottom, you know, it's just that the way it's angled now, it just doesn't make any sense to run the bottom. I hope I'm wrong. I hope we see two lanes there. I hope there's a lot of passing, but I just don't see it, John. I just think the way the track is angled, uh, you can't – you run the corner. Uh, you're faster on the outside. And the way the track's angled, I just think uh, is is going to be the reason why we don't see cars on the bottom. I, I don't think it's got anything to do with the lack of grip there. What are your thoughts? I think one of the other things is if you look since they changed the engine package – for the Cup Series and put the tapered spacer on there, it's more of a momentum movement the same way Xfinity is. And if you can keep the momentum around the top, it's a lot easier to run half throttle, three-quarter throttle than 
just coasting around the bottom and staying down there. You've got you're got more in the gas time when you're running up the top than you do at the bottom. I would love to see them be able to go too wide again and where there's actually passing instead of whoever decides to play bump and run and take out half the field to get a pass done because it's basically a conveyor belt the whole way around for 500 laps. If they, if this polishing thing on the bottom works, God bless them. I love to see passing both on the top and on the bottom. I'd like to see two wide. I'd like to be able to see them drive two, I mean, pass without knocking each other out of the way. But if it doesn't work, uh, you watch and see if Bruton doesn't try it again because Bristol's luster is really starting to go away. And mm-hmm. you saw a lot of full seats, descri- I mean, a lot of people described as em- empty bleachers in the spring race, and here the night race isn't sold out yet either. So it's they got to do something. So they're trying this one. If not, who knows? They could end up bulldozing the thing and starting all over again. We'll find out. But we'll, the other thing you're going to find out is they're trying to get all this stuff knocked out and they're praying to God there's no rain Saturday night because they got to turn around and make that a football field in 20 days. You're right, and that's something to keep in mind as well where, you know, uh, there's a lot of things going on at Bristol, and you're right about the fact that Bristol doesn't have the same aura it once did. You know, when we talked about Bristol five, ten years ago, it was Bristol, baby. You know, uh, it was unbelievable. And I think the fans, for whatever reason, you know, I think there's a lot of fans out there who like the Bristol racing now better than what it used to be. But I think that the majority of them uh, like the old Bristol. And I think the old Bristol was a unique race. It was something we'd never seen before. We haven't seen since. And we'll never see probably again until we'll probably never see again. Uh, Bristol was its own animal. It was, it was, could be wild. It was fun. It was a lot of moving and you could pass and, it was it was sensational. Now it's you know it's different. It's just different, and I think the fans they haven't responded the way I think uh, Bruton thought they would. Um, you know that used to be a race that was sold out every year, 150,000 seats, um, and people would wait in line to get in tickets for that race, and they wouldn't they wouldn't even get them. So yeah, it's it's a problem for sure, and and I think that's part of the reason why he's trying to do this at the bottom of the racetrack again. I I hope it works. Like you said, I hope it works well. Um, but I don't see it happening with the way. I just think with the way the track is angled now, uh, and, and the multiple grooves, I just don't see it happening. Real quick, John, um, before you sign off here, give me your winners uh, on Wednesday, and give me your winners on Friday and Saturday for Cup Trucks Cup and Xfinity. Wednesday, I'm going with Old Reliable. I'm going to stick with Matt Matt Crafton just because he is as consistent of a truck driver as you find. Uh, he's always near the front, and if he's not, he finds his way toward the front. Um, just a solid competitor. Uh, Saturday, Kyle Busch is in it. You might as well bank on Kyle Busch winning it because Kyle Busch wins every time he gets in an Xfinity car. And Sunday, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go on a limb here, and I'm going to say Kyle Larson wins the race wow. and gets himself in the chase. He ran great there in the spring. He ran great last fall. Kyle, Kyle Larson knows his way around Bristol. He went lap for lap with Kyle Busch in the Xfinity Series yep. uh, last fall as well. So don't count. I mean, it, I'm going on a long shot. I think Larson wins the race Saturday night and gets himself in the chase. Yeah, and I think 
I right. I, I think Larson's doing his best driving in Cup Series right now. A um, couple of things. I'll, I'll pick my winners here for you. I think Wednesday, I'm going to go with Timothy Peters. I think he's a good short tracker. I like him a lot. I think he does a lot of good things. Uh, Friday night to the Xfinity Series race, uh, you mentioned Kyle Busch. Anytime he's in the Xfinity Series car, you got to go with him. And I hate to say that I'm going to go with Kyle Busch, but I'm going to go with Kyle Busch. I think Sunday is going to be interesting, um, and I've talked a lot about him on the show tonight, and I just have a feeling that Kenseth's going to go up there and win. Uh, he's, he's been good at Bristol. Joe Gibbs is on top of their game right now. Uh, I think Matt Kenseth's the type of guy who's going to go out there, and it might become down to a, a Matt Kenseth-Joe Logano battle, so that would be really interesting to see how that works out on Saturday night. John Harley did a great job. I want to thank our callers, Ryan and Lee from Virginia. You guys do a great job as well, helping us out every week. Um, and we'll be back here next week talking about Bristol. Good night, everybody.